0: Good morning. It is uh, wonderful to see you all here this morning. Um, As Jim said, I'm Morag. I'm a home group leader and I'm part of the Kingdom Vineyard preaching team. Uh, (laughs) It's a great team. Um, If it is your first time here, you are really welcome. If it's your 51st time here, you're also really welcome and anybody in, in between is welcome as well. As Jim said, we're in the third week into our teaching series. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts from the New Testament, but by way of a brief sojourn in the book of Joshua from the Old Testament. It might seem a strange coupling, but stick with us. Jeremy's going to unpack the links further in a couple of weeks' time. But Jim explained it like this a couple of weeks ago. The book of Joshua is the story of Israel, God's people moving into the promised land. It's about the opposition that they face and the complete devotion to God they need to carry out their mission successfully. The book of Acts is a story of the church, God's people, taking the gospel and the presence of God to the world around them. The opposition that they face, then the complete devotion to God they need to carry out their mission successfully. The podcasts of Jim's two talks on Joshua are available on our website And they're well worth a listen to if you haven't heard them. Today, we're going to look at Joshua chapters 5 and 6. And they contain probably the most famous passage from this part of the Bible, the Battle of Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down. (laughs) I will try and resist the urge to sing. However, there are some really important events in chapter 5, which I don't want us to miss out on on our way to Jericho. And this morning, rather than read the whole chunk in a one I'm going to break it down into sections, read a bit, comment on that, and read the next bit, and so on. But let's start at chapter 5, verse 1. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Stick your finger in chapters 5 and 6 in Joshua. It should come up there. We're a wee bit off-kilter, but um, I'll read it to you as well. So if you just want to <laughs> listen along, you can do that too. Ooh like the tech team. Anyway, I'll make a start. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. As Jim said last week, the fame of God was spreading. All the kings of the area are now aware that the Lord is with Israel and acting on their behalf. And the report that the spies brought back with them in chapter two has proved entirely accurate. Chapter two, verse 24 said, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Now I'm no military tactician, but I would think that this would be the time to take on your enemies. To go into battle when the enemies are melting in fear, surely strike while the iron is hot. But we don't head straight for Jericho, no. The people of Israel take some time at their camp just where they crossed the Jordan, and this is what they do there, picking up at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why they did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach from Egypt from you. So this place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, The Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. They ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So, rather than going straight into battle, Joshua, on the Lord's instructions, takes time to circumcise all the men who had been born during their time in the wilderness. And again, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure this takes them out of action for a while. And honestly, I can't believe how many times I've had to see circumcision already this morning. But it's actually good that their enemies were afraid of them at this time, and they won't come near them, it actually gives them time to do this in safety. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant given to Abraham when God promised his descendants that they would take possession of the land of Canaan. As they have just crossed the Jordan into that land, it is fitting that the covenant, the solemn agreement between God and his people, is renewed. They take time to rededicate themselves to God, to mark in their bodies that they are indeed set apart as people of God. They also take time to celebrate Passover. After crossing the Jordan, they take that time to remind themselves of their escape from Egypt, the defeat of their enemy, and the crossing of another sea, the Red Sea. It's like those memorial stones that they've just taken up from the middle of the Jordan and set up to remind themselves. It's good to look back and remind ourselves what God has done and what he's still doing. It builds faith and trust for the future. The Israelites are moving into a new phase. All those who were slaves in Egypt have died in the wilderness. The new generation has been rededicated to the covenant, to God and the manna stops. The food that sustained them on the journey has finished. Now they are entitled to the produce of the land that they're going to occupy. The new generation has new purpose. Let's get back to the passage at verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? It seems Joshua is now going out to scout things out at Jericho. Is he feeling daunted by the task ahead? Is he praying for guidance or instruction? Maybe, I don't know. Whatever he's doing there, this figure appears with his drawn sword. And quite naturally, Joshua wants to know if he's in trouble or not. Are you friend or foe? Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, is the reply. seems a bit cryptic. But the figure also announces himself as the commander of the Lord's army. And from what I read, I understand his answer to mean something like this. I am here not to take sides, but to take charge as the commander of the Lord's army to ensure that God's will and God's purposes are fulfilled. I think the principle here is that it was not Joshua's place to somehow get God to endorse his plans, but it was his place to submit to God's plans and receive his orders from God and to obey him. And thankfully, Joshua seems to get that straight away. He shows by his response, he falls face down in reverence and asks for his instructions. It's interesting, isn't it? How often do we get this back to front? How often do we try and get God to endorse our plans? We push on ahead and say, God, you're on my side, right? How comfortable would we be with the answer? No, I'm on my side. God's purpose is his kingdom. We get the pleasure of joining him in his work, but the plans and the battles are all his our role is to fall on our faces in reverence and ask, what message does my Lord have for his servant? I have a little theory of why Joshua get, gets this right away and maybe something we can learn from him. It's a little verse from Exodus chapter 33. It's almost a throw throwaway comment and I may be reading too much into it in which case, just forgive me, but it's always struck me and stood out to me whenever I read it. In Exodus 33, we hear about the tent of meeting, where Moses would go to speak with God. In verse nine, we read, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And in verse 11, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses was the one at that time that was speaking to God as one speaks to a friend, which is just amazing. But Joshua was also there. He did not leave the tent. Implies that he was in the tent when Moses and God were talking. He got to be in the presence. He got to remain in that place. He got to stay there in the tent. He spent a lot of time in the presence of God. And I just felt like this morning, you know, when we're in worship, I just want to stay there. I just want to know that presence of God that comes when we worship. And that's what Joshua got to do in the tent. I think that's where he learned to recognize God's voice and to know that the best place to be is right in the middle of what he's doing, hearing his voice and obeying. If we want to get on board with God's plans, to know what plans he has for our lives and for our church, there is no substitute. There is no shortcut. We need to spend time with him to be in his presence, worshiping, praying, reading the Bible, learning to recognize his voice and to obey. And we haven't even got to Jericho yet. So I'm going to skip a bit to save a bit of time. As Joshua asks the commander of the Lord's army what his instructions are, he tells them this crazy plan, and Joshua goes back to the camp and puts the plan into action. We'll pick up at chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to take a wee drink. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests, carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march round the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord." When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forwards, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord carried round the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forwards, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord when the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time round, When the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring down your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. That's the famous story. And it sounds ridiculous every time you hear it. Jericho was a heavily fortified town, probably a military outpost or garrison town. Even with the fear of the Israelites being on the people, they may well have felt pretty safe as they could hold up behind their walls for quite some time. There is also no way that the Israelites should have been able to take this town. They were a bunch of people who had spent 40 years as nomads, wandering around the desert, not building up military know how or forging weapons that could be up to laying siege to a military outpost. Plus, all their fighters had been recently circumcised. So, the linchpin of the whole operation was to be the priests with trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant. The ark was the symbol of God's presence with his people. This was a potent representation of the fact that it was God that was going to fight this battle. The soldiers were there only on escort duty for the first six days. I do wonder what the soldiers thought of this plan. Had they been training for battle and then wondering why they were on ceremonial duties? Whatever they thought, The people listened to Joshua and obeyed his orders, marching in silence for six days, marching seven times on the seventh day and on Joshua's command, giving a loud shout and the walls do indeed come tumbling down. Against all the odds and through no might of their own, the people of Israel charge straight in and take the city of Jericho. The first conquest in the promised land conducted with the presence of God at the heart of it. Jim asked me earlier in the week if I thought there were any common themes that I felt God was drawing out for us in our study of Joshua. And I can definitely see some threads from the the three talks that we've had so far. Here's what I think God might be saying to us as a church. Certainly a bit to me personally and maybe to one of you too individually as well. Through these talks in Joshua and the prayer times that we've had, there just seems to be a strong sense that we are in a time of preparation for what God is going to do amongst us. There is a real sense of anticipation and even of urgency. There is a real, you know, kind of drawing on the C.S. Lewis, the line, the Witch, in the Wardrobe analogy that Jim has, has used before, Aslan is on the move. We are looking for evidence of his presence and want to be ready to join in his purposes. This might mean a period of rededication and consecration. As we've read today, the Israelites have just seen God move powerfully on their behalf in crossing the Jordan, but they then take the time to rededicate themselves to the covenant and to celebrate Passover reminding themselves of God's promises and what he has done in the past to inspire trust and faith for what's coming. We do regularly take time as a church to give thanks for what God is doing amongst us. Reminding ourselves of God's promises and being thankful for all he does is just a really good idea. We should do it on a daily basis. And we will see faith and trust rise up in our own hearts. And that's the bit that's really a message to me. I need to hear this. We did um, the prayer of examine at home group the other week, um, which is when you kind of prayerfully look over your day with God, you look back over your day. And I have to say, I've always been pretty. Oh, no, no, I don't like it. No, I don't think that's for me. I just thought it would bring up like loads of negative stuff that I would just beat myself up about anyway. But as soon as I started to look for things in my day to be thankful for, even when I did look at the more challenging aspects of my day, they seemed less negative. I could see God in my day and could begin to trust him with everything, good and bad. Contemplative things like the examine or meditating on the Bible or prayer are not activities that take us away from the action, from what God is doing. They are things that are essential so that we can be involved in the action. We read in last week's passage in chapter 3 verse 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I think that is the sense of urgency. We don't have long, we need to be ready. I think we should take a leaf from Joshua's book to spend time in the presence of God, learning to recognize his voice. So when he gives instructions, we are ready to respond. Not wanting to bend his will to our plans, but ready to cooperate in his plans. Let's be ready to respond to what might seem to be weird instructions with radical obedience the instructions might seem weird in our eyes but God's ways are not our ways if we are to see God move among us like the defeat of Jericho it won't be because of any skills or abilities on our part or any perceived lack of skills or abilities on our part it will be all God the plans are his the battle is his and the glory is all his. Our only job is to be ready to do what he says. To say again, I think the message to us is that God is preparing us for his plans. He is on the move. Let's get close to God for protection, and so we are ready to respond to whatever he asks us to do. Please stand, and I'll pray for us. Father God, we do, we long to see you move amongst us. We long to see more of your kingdom here. See people set free. See people come to know you. See people made whole. Please, Lord, draw us close to yourself. Let us be ready to respond to whatever you have for us. To Say, yes, Lord, I'm here ready for your instructions. Bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen.